Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith does not come by what you heard in the past. Faith comes by what you continually hear. If you want faith, you have to continually hear the word of God. So faith comes by what is continually heard. Fear comes the same way. Notice, there are some things in your life you didn't know you were supposed to be afraid of until someone told you. Now, there's some things you knew instinctively, but that fear grew when people kept talking about it. And there were other things you would never been afraid of if someone told you how bad it was for them, and then you got afraid of it too. Why do I say that? The forces that influence the decisions we make are strengthened by what we continually hear. The forces that influence the decisions we make are strengthened by what we continually hear. We'll do a little bit of review until we go where we're going today. Too often we won with what we hear because it sounds good, it sounds religious, or it affirms previously held thoughts and beliefs or actions we want to take. We live in a world of commentators, influencers, experts, celebrities, politicians, and preachers. Everybody's got something to say. But too often we grab onto a saying without fully considering it. We live in a society that rushes to react to every headline without reading the article. We are led by clickbait and act accordingly. And as I told you the last few weeks, headline hearing and clickbait faith will not produce the life you are praying for. Headline hearing and clickbait faith will not produce the life you are praying for. So we must pay attention to how we hear, what we hear, and examine our currently held beliefs with the question, who said that? Because so many times we base our lives on the stuff we heard, but it doesn't come from the word of God. But it sounded religious. It sounded like it could be somewhere in the Bible. You never read that chapter, but you thought it could be there somewhere. And we base our life on those decisions, and we wonder why there's areas in our life that are on shaky ground or sandy ground. It's because we're not building on the word of God or what God spoke to us, we're basing on what someone else said. So you have to examine everything in your life, what you do, why you do it, how you do it with, who said that. And understanding that, their universal concepts of the word of God will work for everybody. And every time, every race, every place, it doesn't matter who they are, if it's a universal concept in the word of God, it works for everybody. But also understanding that the God has given you the Holy Spirit to live within you, to rest upon you, to lead you and guide you into all truth and give evidence or bear witness to your spirit. When he gives evidence and bears witness to your spirit, he will remind you of the universal concepts of the word of God. But he'll also give you specific applications that are for your life only. There are things he'll tell you to do. He'll tell you to buy a certain house or go to a certain place or take a certain job or do this. Specific things for you to do. Not for someone else to do, for you to do. And nothing the Holy Ghost tells you to do will contradict his word, because he wrote the word, and he won't contradict himself. But he'll give you applications on how you are to apply the concept of the word of God in your everyday life. What gets people in trouble is when they copy someone else's application. You can copy concepts all day long because it's the universal word of God. When you copy someone else's concept, you're not going to get the same results. And then you upset. Well, God just loves that person better. 
or maybe that time of miracles has passed. You copy all these different reasons why you don't have the breakthrough, and the number one reason is you're applying someone else's application. When you have to get before God and find out what does he want you to do, how does he want you to apply that concept? We can't be spiritually lazy people who just run after everyone else's application or run to prophets or prophets because they're real prophets, and I know some. Thank God for them. Been a blessing to my life. But then also some people who call themselves a prophet. You know, just because you call yourself a prophet doesn't make you one. I can call myself a washing machine. does not make me one. And they run after prophets to get a word because they don't want to pray for themselves. Hear God from themselves or have been erroneously taught that God doesn't speak to them and only talks to the prophet. And that's Old Testament thinking. You're under the New Testament. You've been washed in the blood. You have the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. And so they run after someone else, not to confirm what God spoke to them or to add their agreement or get further clarity and wisdom, but to hear from God directly. And what happens if you go to somebody who doesn't know what they're doing or not mature in their gifting or someone who just outright a false prophet, and you do that, do you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to be deceived and you're going to lose your money. Charging you for a prophecy. Get, get out of here. You're on Facebook trying to get a prophetic word. Well, give me your PayPal information first. Send me your Venmo. Stop that. You thinking you're operating by the Spirit of God, but they're familiar spirits. Playing with demons and doggy bags. Well, I'll leave that alone. And the thing is, what makes that so dangerous, I remember Dad Hagen telling a story years ago that he was at home watching, actually someone who was with Dad Hagen shared this story, that he was just, you know, watching different games on TV and just flipping back and forth through channels and some of his spiritual kids were hanging out with him and he stopped on this Christian station and this guy was preaching and he said hey boys this guy's doing a great job man go ahead preach he's preaching on amen am on even though he's watching on television and then he's so encouraged and then he stops and becomes grieved and says oh no 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 oh no 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 oh no 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 oh lord oh no 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 and so just like you you'd be wondering what happened you amen one moment and now you grieve the next. What's happening? And so one of the voter ones said, what happened? And he said, this man does not realize the difference between the Holy Spirit and familiar spirits. Because at one moment, he's yielding to the Holy Ghost. And the next, he's yielding to familiar spirits. Don't run after someone to give you a prophetic word. And definitely don't sign up for pay for prophecy. Lord have mercy. So why do you talk about that? Because people do it. Don't do that. The universal concepts of the word of God will work for everybody. You need to seek God for applications on how you are to apply it. And what God will do is put spiritual authority and spiritual relationship in your life to help you confirm what he said. And so there may be some things like, I think this is what God said. I'm not sure. Could you pray with me so that I can be sure? Or does this bear witness with your spirit? There are people telling me, I believe God wants me to go in this direction. Has God talked to you about it? A lot of times he'll tell me ahead of time. Or other times, let's pray about it together. Or it's like, yep, that's what he wants you to do, but you're moving too fast. Slow down for a little bit. What happens? That's under spiritual authority. But it's not me saying, well, you should make A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, O, M, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z, Alpha, Beta. No. No. You have the Holy Ghost. I have the Holy Ghost. 
So I can hear him because he talks to me. We must pay attention to how we hear, what we hear, and examine our currently held beliefs with who said that. What word are you living by? What word do you have faith in? The word you believe and act on will produce results in your life. The word you continually hear is the word you'll continually think about, imagine, meditate, expect, and act on. That word will influence your perspective. It is vitally important that you act on what God is saying to you and not what he's saying to someone else. Last week, we talked about three questions you need to ask yourself. Who said that? Number two, who is your source? Who is your source? See, one of the reasons our relationships turn toxic is because we put pressure on a person to be someone they're never supposed to be. If you think the person you're dating, you're married to, is supposed to be the person who makes your self-esteem needs, that ain't going to work because it's not their job. Yes, they're supposed to aid it. Yes, they're supposed to help it. Definitely not supposed to take away from it. But they're not your source of self-esteem. They're not the source of your confidence. It's not their job to make sure your fragile ego stays intact. That's not their job. You have to ask yourself the question, who is your source? And God is supposed to be your source. Comes to, well, I just want to marry someone rich. If I can pay my telephone bill, oh, oh, stop, flashback, 90s, 90s. He's like, well, I want to marry someone rich so they can pay all those bills. Whoa, 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 who is your source? Whose job is to supply all your needs? And as we talked about last week, God expects both people to work. Wow, so quiet on that. Both. He expects it. But if you put the pressure on your spouse or your future spouse to meet all your needs, that's going to be dangerous territory. God is your source, but he gives you many resources. So in an an area, in a relationship, your spouse is a resource from your source, but they're not your source. But what happens when you put your spouse in a place of God, not saying you follow them like they're God, no. I'm talking about you putting a demand on them for things to supply like their God will end you up in a relationship that you both don't like. You will be disappointed in them and they'll be mad at you. You have to ask yourself the question, who is your source? And definitely don't look for fulfillment through your children. Trying to live vicariously through them because you didn't have the childhood you want. And you put pressure on them to do what you want them to do, not because it's what the Bible says, but it's what you want. And if it fails your pride, well, I want them to go to that school because I couldn't afford that school. And you send them to a school that God doesn't want them to go to, but they feel pressure to go to, and you wonder why your child comes back as a heathen. Your fulfillment can't come from through your children. It has to come from you doing what God told you to do. Number three, whose responsibility is it? Third question was, whose responsibility is it? It is your responsibility to control yourself. Self-control is one of the hallmarks of Christianity in the spirit-filled life. 
that you can control yourself. So I'm saying, I just can't help myself. Yes, you can. Oh, I, just another sweet potato pie. You can help yourself. Help yourself in advance so that you can enjoy on Thanksgiving. You have self-control. Stop putting it on your spouse. Like, well, you know, once dating people, once I get married, I'll never have struggles with, you know, having sex. If you're sleeping around now, a ring on your finger ain't going to stop you. If you're on the down low now, a ring on your finger won't stop you. You can be quiet. Just look straight ahead. Just look straight ahead. Don't look at nobody. Just look straight ahead. Whose responsibility is it to control your flesh? Yours. It's not God's responsibility either. He told you to do it. It's your responsibility by what you look at online. Oh, porn's a man issue. Not anymore. It's your responsibility to make sure you don't go to OnlyFans. Well, I'm not on OnlyFans, but you don't need to be following that account on Instagram either. Why are you following them on Instagram? Is there some information you want to see, or are you just hoping for pictures every once in a while? Trying to say, oh, I don't look at the pictures. I only read the articles. Like, really? Right. Whose responsibility is it to control yourself? Yours. Whose responsibility is it to control your emotions? Yours. Well, my kids made me lose it. No, you lost it. Well, my spouse made me lose it. No, you lost it. It is your responsibility to control your mouth, to control your emotions, and control your actions. It's not someone else's job. But if you always live a life out of control, someday somebody will control you. Whether it's somebody with nefarious motives, whether it's a demon, or whether you locked up. If you don't control yourself, eventually somebody will control you. It is your responsibility to control yourself. Go to 1 Peter 3, 7. Let's pick up where we left off last week. But that review was enough to get some people right. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. We also said last week that unexpressed expectations lead to frustration. Unexpressed expectations lead to frustration. This works with your spouse, but it also works with your children. If you don't express what you want and what you expect, you being frustrated at them is going to make them make no sense. In order to dwell with each other according to knowledge, the first Peter 3 says, you must express your expectations, needs, and desires in light of the scripture. And what happens so often is we have expectations that we don't even know we have. Why? Because you see things that you might have liked growing up, that you thought this was normal. No, that's not normal for everybody. That was your normal. And maybe other people in your house, other people who were close to you, that was their normal. The person you marry may not have the same normal. And even if their normal is close, it's not the exact same thing. And so what happens if you have these unexpressed expectations and you think this is how it's supposed to be and you never share that with your spouse, then you guys are going to be frustrated. Which is why when I sit down with premarital couples now, I give them one of the weeks because it's usually about 
four to six weeks they meet with me and said, here's what I want you to do. Here's your homework. Go and talk about what life was like growing up. Not just holidays and big days that you remember. What was everyday life like? Who did the cooking? Who went to work? Who did the cleaning? What chores did the kids have? What was this like? What was that like? What were off days like? Because that's a program expectation. Now, none of those things are bad or evil, wrong or good necessarily. These are just different areas that people see all the time. And this is what they expect to happen in the future. But if you don't communicate that with your spouse or with your children, you're going to be frustrated with them because they didn't meet your expectations. And they're going to be frustrated with you because they don't know why you're always mad all the time. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, you husbands, or in the same way you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Talking about your wife. Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Didn't say she's weak. It says unto the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, I used this example as I closed last week. This is a vessel of water, right? Vessel of water. Now, I can just toss this across the room. Nothing would happen because it's open, might spill some water, but we would say, eh, it's not that fragile, right? It's durable. It's not that expensive. But down here, I have the vessel for my tea. Now, how many know if I toss this across the room, not only is this going to spill, it's going to shatter. This material is more fragile than the others, right? So what's the difference of how I handle this compared to the other? I handle this with care. So the title of today's message is Handle with Care. Say handle with care. Think about it this way. When you order something to be delivered to your house, do you want someone just to throw it on the porch? See if they can like, Kobe! You don't want them to do that? No, you want them to take that box and set it down like it's the most expensive thing in the world. It may not be expensive, but you want them to treat that package like it was fragile, especially if it says on the box, handle with care, or fragile. That's what you want. You don't want someone trying to live out the NBA dreams with your stuff. So in the same way you want someone to deliver your packages with care, the scripture teaches us that we're supposed to handle each other with care. And we see this very simply here, 1 Peter 3, 7, telling husbands, how they're supposed to give honor unto their wife. This phrase, giving honor, means ascribing value to based on the price paid. Think about this. If you have something that's really expensive, you're going to treat it differently compared to stuff that's not that valuable because you paid a lot of money for it and you don't want to have to replace it. Think about the person you're married to. They were paid for with the blood of Jesus. What value are you ascribing to them? This phrase also means honor that is due to rank or office. Honor that is due to rank or office. 
See, the problem here with this area, we have a problem with honoring people because we become an honorless society. Not just, you know, Generation Z, Millennials, Gen X, baby, everybody. We've lost the fact that you give people honor sometimes just because of the position they hold. Which is why when I tell you to pray for those who are in authority, I said it doesn't mean you like them or you voted for them, but the Bible tells you to honor them. And so there may be things I disagree with this current president, the future president, past presidents, but I might get up here and call them names. Honor. Well, did you agree with they did? No, not at all. Not even close. But I'm supposed to honor. Because if only the position that they hold. You're supposed to honor your spouse because of the position they hold as your spouse. Even if they're acting unhonorable. You're supposed to honor. Because you want someone to honor you when your breath's a hot mess in the morning, your hair look crazy. You got slobber dried on your face. and You want someone to honor you and say good morning to you, and they go, ooh. You want someone to honor you? Show honor to each other. Honor is big with God. God is a God of honor. He wants you to honor him and honor others. This word also means reverence or respect. You know, we see it spelled out really clearly in Ephesians chapter 5. The wives are to reverence or respect their husbands. But also here in 1 Peter 3, we see that husbands are to reverence and respect their wives. Honor and reverence goes both ways. As we said last week, the key words for family relationships are love, reverence, and honor. Love, reverence, and honor. If you treat each other with love, reverence, and honor, you will handle each other with care. If you treat each other with love, reverence, and honor, you will handle each other with care. Let's go back to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. We'll look at verse 33 first before we go to chapter 6. I'm going to read verse 33 from the Amplified Classic Edition. Say, handle with care. Go ahead, put that in the chat. Everybody say it again. Say, handle with care. Say, God expects me to handle my family with care. Ephesians 5.33, Amplified Classic Edition. It says, however, let each man of you without exception love his wife as being in a sense his very own self. We talked about that last week. And let the wife see that she respects and references her husband. Now, notice how the Amplified Classic Edition amplifies this. That she notices him, regards him, honors him, prefers him, venerates and esteems him. That she defers to him, praises him, and loves and admires him exceedingly. One of the things I want to highlight today is notice him. Wives, notice him. Because you can notice him all day long when he does something wrong. And you have no problem noticing that. But ask yourself, and this goes both ways, how long do you spend talking to your spouse about what they did wrong versus what they did right? When they do something right, oh, thank you for that. When they do something wrong, it's a whole bunch of drama. 
how big a deal do you make of what they get right versus what they get wrong? But if this is love, honor, and reverence, you want to make a bigger deal about what they get right versus what they get wrong. Notice each other. And wives, most of you have this great intuition, and you notice things that your husband may need that he doesn't even know he needs. Now, some of you say, well, I'm just going to meet that need and not say anything. He'll know. No, he won't. Stop dropping hints. Stop, stop, stop. If you want a blessed marriage, stop dropping hints. Somebody just staring at me. Say, if I want a blessed marriage, I need to stop dropping hints. Be clear with what you want. Be clear. And so let's say, if you have a husband, let's say he really likes sports. I know in this church, the ladies are huge sports fans too. And sometimes you marry, I've heard funny stories of you marry a person who loves the other team. And the, when your teams play each other, it's very funny and y'all ask for prayer ahead of time. But so let's say this is, you may not be one of those, but your husband really loves sports. Now you notice that anytime he's watching the game, he's hungry. And somewhere in a commercial, he's trying to find snacks. But you know, this is what he's going to do. He does this every week. He doesn't think about it ahead enough to get snacks. He didn't Instacart it. He didn't go to the store himself. But because you know him and you notice that, before the game starts, like, babe, I got you some snacks because I know you're going to be hungry during the game. Now, notice, you didn't just drop a hint and leave snacks right out there. You said, hey, I got it for you because I know you'll need it. That goes further than just, see, I did a pretty snack tray. Now, you can do an Instagram-worthy pretty snack tray, but you need to make it clear what you're doing. Stop dropping hints. Because y'all mad when they don't pick up hints. They didn't see it. This ain't Scooby-Doo. This ain't Blue Clues. I know Steve is back, but your husband's not blue. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Parents' favorite scripture. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The favorite scripture of parents. Surprise parents didn't take off running around the room, dancing and shouting and all that, doing backflips and everything. Children, you love and honor and reverence your parents by obeying them. That's how you show your love to them, your honor of them, your respect and your reverence toward them. Now, parents, don't make it hard for them to obey you. Well, let's keep going. First, the promise. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. What is the promise? That it may be well with you, that you may live long on the earth. So children applies to young ones in your house. But honor applies to everybody, even when you're grown. You are to honor your parents. What does that mean? Respect ascribe value to, and honor them based on the office they hold in your life. Now, some of you may think, well, I didn't have parents. Well, no, you had a parental figure in your life. Whether they know it or not, they filled that role for you. You know, so when I talk, I talk to people, you know, about, you know, parental figures, well, I didn't have one. My parents have passed. I said, well, who do you go to like your father and mother? Who do you talk to? He's like, well, there is this person. It may not even be related to them. It may just be an older friend that's poured into their life. I said, then you honor them all your days. Or if it was an aunt or uncle who helped raise you, you honor them all your days. 
whether it's your grandparents who became your parents as well, you honor them all your days. Don't be found with a deficit of honor. Don't be found with a deficit of honor. Show honor to the ones who raised you. And I said, well, what happens if the relationship is toxic and, you know, they're not living the life they're supposed to live? Doesn't mean you have to be at the house every day. You can show honor from a distance. And sometimes the honor you show is loving for a difference and not dogging them out every day of your life. And the honor you show is forgiveness and letting things go. Now, it didn't say you have to have a relationship with them. Did the scripture say that? I don't see that in that verse. It's not in the Greek either. It means honor. Honor is going to have to do with your heart and with your actions. And you getting before God and asking, how do I show honor in this tough situation? Honor is important. And it says, if you honor, your life will be good. And your life will be long. Say, honor is important. And you say, well, my parents are older. They're just acting up. Well, I'm sure you acted up as a child, too. My parents are crazy. You may have had a hand in that. I can't believe my parents didn't help with this. They changed your diaper. They wash your butt. Honor. I can't believe I teach my parent how to use this computer. They taught you how to use a spoon. Honor. And parents also pay attention to how you treat your kids. Because they may be the ones who have to take care of you when you're old. And you don't want them to have flashbacks. <laughs> They're about to do some. You know, let's have a conversation. You know, when I was five, no, you don't want them to have flashbacks. <laughs> honor your children because they're your children. Children honor your parents because they're your parents. This way of honoring sometimes means you need to apologize for stuff. I ain't apologizing to my children. Well, if you want to have children who have messed up emotions and wrong expectations of your life, keep on with that old perspective. But if you mess up, you need to apologize to your children. Whether you meant it or not, who's setting the example of how they're supposed to have relationships with others? Because the thing is, you never apologize to them, you think they're going to apologize to other people? Honor. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Bring up means to nourish to maturity. Nourish to maturity. So that's the job. But also I want to point out, you don't stop being a parent when they turn 18. You don't stop being a parent when they turn 18 and when they graduate from college. You are a parent forever. Well, I got 18 years. To what? So you pay for college? 18 years to what? You're a parent forever. God doesn't say you stop parenting once they turn 18. The relationship dynamic may change, but you are still a parent. And stop having this backslidden, hellish, demonic mentality where they need to struggle like I struggle. They need to go through what I went through. 
That is devilish. It's from hell. Shoot, it's from the plantation. Stop that. They don't need a struggle where you struggled. Your children should stand on your shoulders so they can go further than you went. How do you expect your children to go far if you're making them start where you started? You want your children to far exceed what you do on your best day. But that can't happen if you make them start where you started. Scott, we got to stop being crabs in the barrel, always pulling people down because we had a struggle. No, they're to stand on your shoulders. This word nurture here means the whole training and education of children, which relates to the cultivation of mind and morals and employs for this purpose now commands and admonitions, now reproof and punishment. It also includes the training and the care of the body. That's what the nurture is. The whole training education of children, which relates to the cultivation of mind and morals, and employs for this purpose now commands and admonitions, now reproof and punishment. It also includes the training and the care of the body. Notice who the apostle is talking to right now. Fathers. Dads. Which means it's unscriptural to put all the raising of the children on the wife. I'll say it again. It is unscriptural to put all the raising of the children on the wife. Now, yes, the wife and mom does have responsibility. We'll look at that in a moment. But notice it's both. The word admonition means to put in mind, to remind. It's training by word, by whether encouragement or mild rebuke with kind intent. This word admonition means to put in mind or to remind. It is training by word, whether by encouragement or mild rebuke with kind intent. Now, one of the things while studying out these Greek words and looking at these definitions, it's gentle rebuke, mild rebuke, kind intent, which shows that in your raising and the correcting of your children, you're supposed to do it a gentle way, as it says in Colossians, that won't discourage them. And then who's nurture and admonition? The culture's? No, the Lord's. You bring them up in maturity and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. With that in mind, I want to read you Psalm 123 and 4 through the New Living Translation. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. So when you're disciplining your children, are you disciplining them like they are an annoyance? or like they are a gift from God. When you discipline and correct your children, are you doing it from a standpoint, man, they're just getting on my nerves? Or are you doing it because they're a gift from God? But also ask, why are you disciplining them in this moment? Is what they did wrong or is it just annoys you? Is what they did wrong because it's too early? Or too late? You have to be consistent with your discipline. Because if you never discipline them in one area, and years later you blow up at them about it, they're going to think you're crazy. You said, I've been doing this for 15 years, and now you tell me stuff? 
You don't teach your children how to control their emotions and actions and drives when they're 15. You got to start when they come out the womb. You say, well, they don't get the words I'm saying to them. No, but you're speaking to their spirit. So by the time they understand the words, they know how to begin to apply it. Correct and discipline your children like their gifts, not like their annoyances. Now, let's say you have a child who's older, or maybe they're still younger, and they, still, they have a certain issue, a certain problem, a certain struggle they're dealing with that you know is not good, it's unbiblical, the list goes on. Do not identify your relationship with a child based on their sin. Do not identify your relationship with your child on what you have to consistently correct them for. Because if you do, every correction and discipline you make will be jaded. Don't see them through the eyes of their sin. See them through the eyes of Jesus. Because aren't you grateful that your heavenly father doesn't see you through the eyes of your sin? And notice this last thing in verse 4, they're like arrows. And before we even get to arrows, remember this when it concerns your children. They will always be your children, but they're also your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Your children will always be your children, but they're also your brothers and sisters in the Lord. So how are you treating your brother and sister in the Lord? Are you training them and raising them in a way that's going to help them follow Jesus? or in a way that's going to make them run from them as soon as they get out of your house. Now it says children are like arrows. Parents, it is your job to launch them in the direction that God has for them. Not your direction, but the direction God has for them. Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, this word train is train up and to dedicate. It means to train up and dedicate. But this word is not just telling them, go to church, pray, read the Bible, be a good person, pay your taxes, all the other good stuff, be a good citizen. That's not what it means. I'm sure it includes that, but that's not what it means. The way is talking about the path. The way, come on, say this out loud and put it in the chat. Say, the way is talking about the path. And the path is not a general path. It is specific. It is an application. You can have multiple kids, but they have different paths. Train up and dedicate your child to the path that God wants them to go down. Not your path, but God's path. And so that when they're ready to leave your house, you have launched them down the path. Now, there are weapons of light to destroy the kingdom of darkness because how you prepare them and you've launched them in the right direction. Train them for the path, which means you have to get before God. God, what do you want them to do? What do you want them to accomplish? What is the call and purpose on their life? What is my part in it? That's how you have to pray. So you have instructions on what to do as you go throughout their raising and their development. But you also, I found this helpful, I've learned this from many others, that you pay attention to what your kids say when they're real young. Before they go to school, before they know different things, listen 
to what they say because their spirits are alive to God. They're, they're born with their spirits alive to God. And they'll say things. That they'll say, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. Now, I'm not talking about things you have to correct. I'm talking about listen when they talk about this is what I'm going to do in my life. This is what I'm going to do in the future. You listen to what they say and you write it down. And you pray concerning that. Say, Lord, is that what you want them to do? Okay, how do I prepare them for that? Now, as they grow, they're going to have interest in many things. And you support their interests and help them along the way so they learn and they grow. And you might say, well, they're interested in this random subject. It has nothing to do with the purpose of call God told me they had. You support it anyways. Why? Because God never wastes anything. God never wastes anything. There are things you may be interested in that you're like, why am I interested in? I know this, for example, one of, the th- one of the many things I was interested in growing up was movies and film and theater. So much that I went to acting camps and I was in uh, two movies, one on HBO and one on CBS. And so that was a big heart of mine growing up. And I even wrote different plays and scripts and all those other things. And so I did that for a number of years, but by the time I was an you know, upper teenager, I kind of moved away from that and focused on other things. And when the first time I gave my first message as a minister in Southville, both of my grandparents were there. And one of my grandmothers came to me and said, I saw all your acting lessons come out as you delivered the message. The way you talked, your inflection, the way you move your hands is what they trained you to do decades ago. I had an interest in theater and acting and movies. And so I would go to these camps and learn how to deliver lines, not knowing that God would put it all together so I can deliver his word. So as you train up your kids, you support the interest because you have no idea how God's going to use that and put it into practice. And there'll be different ways he uses it throughout their life. But this is how you train them to follow the path. Titus 2.4, New Living Translation, says, These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. Why do I mention that? Because it's telling those who are older, who are more experienced, train the younger. Which means loving your spouse and loving your children correctly is a skill that you can develop and you must develop. It doesn't come automatically overnight. It takes time. You have to develop. That's why it's important to know other people who love Jesus too, who can encourage you. I have a friend of mine, he pastors in another state, and so he got married a year or two before me, and we're just talking about marriage and getting ready to get married. I said, what's your advice? Dude, what, what one thing would you advise me to do? He said, Derek, the best thing you can do as a married couple is hang out with other married couples because it lets you know you're not crazy. Because when it's just you two, you think, oh, it's my husband, it's my wife. He's like, oh, everybody's crazy. Then you get around, oh, your husband do that too? Your wife do that too? Oh, we in this together? Whew. So I'm going to call you when I'm tripping, and you can call me when you're tripping. It's that one another principle. It's that better together principle. And one of the things I encourage people to do, don't just have friends of your generation, have friends across generations. That's why I'm emphatic, and I love that this is a multi-generational church. Because we need each other. We need each other. And there's things that you have that someone else in here doesn't have, and the way it's going to get in their life is because they form a relationship with you. So when it comes to loving our spouse and loving our children, these are skills we are to develop in. 
Go with me to Romans chapter 12, verse 10, as we begin to bring this to a close. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. This is helping anybody today. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. And I encourage you, if you missed our midweek message for the last three weeks, we've shared on how to pray effectively for your family and your loved ones. It's a three-part message. Go to YouTube, go to our Faith Plus app, listen to that message. It'll show you how to pray effectively for your family and your loved ones. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. We'll read it from New Living. It says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. This is for all believers, but also for those in your house. Love them for real. Take delight in honoring them. When you take delight in something, you look forward to it. You make plans concerning it. You strategize about it. Whatever you delight in, you look forward to that time. So take delight in honoring your spouse and honoring your children. Honoring your grandchildren, honoring your parents, honoring your grandparents. Take delight in it and figure out what's the best way I can honor them. What's the best way I can love them? Now, the way they receive love and honor may not be the way you want to receive it. Which means you don't just need to speak their love language, you need to learn the dialect. Don't just speak their love language, learn the dialect. Learn how they receive love. Love how they receive honor. You know, we've heard a lot about the five love languages, you know, concerning spouses, but your child has a love language. Figure out what that love language is. And just because most of your kids have this one love language doesn't mean the other one does. I remember for years when I served as a youth pastor in Texas, I remember one family, they had multiple kids, and they said, Pastor, okay, what am I supposed to do? Because I can talk to, talk to four of them this way. But when I talk to this other one, they, like, break down. I said the same thing. All the other kids are fine with it. But this one, I said, they're just different. There's nothing wrong with them. You just have to adjust your style because of who they are. So figure out the way that your spouse, your parents, your children receive love and honor and meet that. How do they show support? How does that mean support to them? There's different ways. I know for one example, my family, my wife pointed this out to me. She says, one of the ways you guys support each other is you always show up. Where there's different events, y'all there. Y'all travel cross country, and each, you are in the room. And I was like, you know, that is true. That is one of the ways of our love language, how we show honor and support to each other. But that's something in my family. What's in your family? How does your family receive love and support and honor? Some of you feed them. They said that's all the love and honor they need. And if that's the case, you never let them go hungry. Now, you may be responsible for their diet and make sure they don't, you know, get out of whack. But if that's the way they receive love and honor, that's what you do. If a clean kitchen is what receives love and honor, that's what you do. And yes, fellas, you can clean the kitchen too. How does your spouse, how do your children, how do your parents receive love and honor? Figure out how to do that and meet that. Love, honor, and reverence are the keys to handling with care. 
Now, this is not my notes, but this kept coming to me in prayer during this week, so I'm going to mention that, that there's a person in here who can listen to replay, and you're considering adopting a child, which is a good thing. Now, the person who's considering this, you're single, which is not a problem. One of the things that's preventing you from doing this is, well, I don't think I can do this because I'm single. That's not necessarily true. But what I would encourage you to do before you make a decision one way or not is get wise counsel. So whoever that's for, whether you're in here, online, watching, replay, get wise counsel so that you can prepare for it and do it wisely. The requirement for raising and adopting children doesn't mean you have to be married. It doesn't. The Bible doesn't teach that. What the Bible always tells us to do is get understanding, get wisdom. So whoever that is, get wise counsel, follow after wisdom. And for those of you who are single parents and here raising kids, God sees you. See, he identified himself as the God who sees you to a single mom on the run. He identified himself to Hagar as I'm the God who sees you. So don't think that you're overlooked. Don't think that God doesn't know your struggle, that God doesn't know what you're going through. He sees you, he is with you, and he will help you raise your child to the point that they never lack anything, even though it's just one of you. He is a faithful God. He sees you. Say, he sees me. Go ahead, put it in the chat. Say, he sees me. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. Honor, love, reverence your spouse, your children, your parents, and your fellow believers. First Corinthians 13. Now concerning those who you're not married, but you got a kid together. And you're thinking, should we get married? What's going on? As I told the other person, get wise counsel. Just because you have a kid together does not mean you have to get married. Yes, former generation said that, and sometimes it worked out, and sometimes it burned down horribly. Just because you met yourself, met each other at a club, which you shouldn't have been at, then you did things that you shouldn't have done, woke up the next morning, repented, and then you found out, oh, hey, there's someone else coming. Doesn't mean you have to get married. What do you do? You are to have the child, but you're also to get wise counsel. Are you guys compatible? Should you guys get married? If not, what do you do? That's why you have wise counsel. Because either way, you're both responsible for the raising and the nurturing of that child. But it doesn't mean you guys have to get married. So what do you do? You sit down for wise counsel. You spend time praying and going through the word of God. But you don't go through this by yourself. What I tell a lot of people who go through things and they say, oh, man, Pastor, I made this mistake. I tell them, don't you disappear on me. Say, oh, now Pastor knows my business. I need to go hide for five months. Don't, don't you dare. I said, this is not the time for you to run and hide. This is not the time for you to disappear. I want to see your butt in that seat on Sunday, and I'm going to look for you. I want to make sure I see you there. Go ahead, wave. You can nod. like, Pastor, I see you. I see you, and I see you too. Don't disappear. When you mess up, it's not the time to go lone wolf. 
to run away. This is the time you need your faith family more than ever. So as you recover and it restore, there are other people blocking you. But if you are driven away by shame, you'll get out there by yourself where wolves can get you and you can be attacked. Satan loves lost sheep that wander off by themselves. Get them caught up in stuff and takes them out. There's so many people who, there's many different reasons why people leave church. I'm not getting into all of them today. Maybe I'll get into a future message. But for one of the things I've seen is some people leave because of shame. Not because of what anyone said to them or what anybody in the church did is that they're ashamed of what they did and the decisions they made and they run. I'm not saying they go to another church. No, they run and stop going to church. And then they start believing, well, I'm okay by myself. I'll just watch on TV or just watch online. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with watching online, but you don't even connect with people online. You just incognito, incognito, there we go. Watching online. No, when you mess up, it's not the time to run away. This is when you need your faith family. Well, I don't want to seem like I'm needy. You are needy. We all is needy. All of us got needs. All of us got issues. None of us are perfect. We are imperfect people who serve a perfect God. That means you go to church long enough, other people will see your issues. They will see you got mess to deal with. We all do. That's why we still love and honor everybody. That's why you build relationships and strengthen relationships and they're for people and they're there for you because you need each other. We need each other. And if any time proved that we needed each other, these last two years have definitely proved we need each other. Things we took for granted in 2019. We're like, ooh, Jesus, I never thought that it was possible for me not to have an opportunity to leave my house and get around my faith family. Don't take it for granted. You say, well, I'm an internal person. I'm an introvert. Well, hang out with other introverts at church. Y'all may not say anything or look at each other, but y'all can sit and look at your phone together and have community among the introverts. see you. Wakanda forever. What's up? You don't have to talk. But don't go alone. Don't go by yourself. Say we need each other. Love and honor and reference. So this is the love we're supposed to show to each other. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation today. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. The King James says, touchy. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice or rejoice whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. This is the love you're supposed to show. And the way you begin is by identifying with this love. I was like, Pastor, how do I identify with this love? You just put your name where it says love. 
4, for example, you would say, I am patient and kind. I am not jealous or boastful or proud. I am not rude. I do not demand my own way. I am not irritable. I do not keep a record of being wronged. I do not rejoice about injustice, but I rejoice whenever the truth wins out. I never give up. I never lose faith. I am always hopeful, and I endure through every circumstance. You have to identify with that love on a regular basis if you expect to act in that love. Because the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 that God has poured out his love into your heart. The love of God is in your heart. Say, the love of God is in my heart. So what are you doing with that love? Think about that. Let's say it again and put it in the chat. Say, the love of God is in my heart. So what are you doing with the love God put in your heart? Just like Minister Dathan encouraged earlier to stir up the joy. You got to stir up the love. One way you stir it up is by identifying yourself with the love of God. And the other way you do it is by talking about it. Speaking words of faith concerning the love of God. Reminding yourself of the love commandment. And the way you're able to love people is because you know God loves you. So one of the ways I started doing this years and years ago, it's like, Father, I thank you that you love me with all that you are and all that you have. And I love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I thank you that Jesus loves me as he loves himself. He carefully nourishes chairs and protects me every single day. I thank you that you've given to me the spirit of love, the Holy Spirit. And he's poured out your love into my heart. And I'm a recipient of your love, but now I'm also a conduit of your love. Father, I thank you that you love me. Now I thank you that you love through me. I acknowledge the love commandment that I'm to love others as Jesus loved me. So then I begin and go, I love my wife as Jesus loves me. I love my children as Jesus loves me. I love my congregation as Jesus loves me. I love my fellow man as Jesus loves me. I love my fellow believer as Jesus loves me. What am I doing? I'm acknowledging the love. I'm stirring it up. And then I go, that love fuels my faith. And my faith grows exceedingly because I've taken Jesus as the author and developer and finisher of my faith. I'm stirring up the love. I'm stirring up the faith. I'm identifying with the love. When you do this on a regular basis, you'll find yourself in situations that normally you would have flown off the handle at, but all of a sudden love comes out. And you shocked yourself, so I don't even know how I didn't cuss. I don't even know how I didn't tell them about themselves. I don't know how I called them every name. I didn't call them every name but a child of God. I don't know what happened. The love took over because you've been practicing love. Just like I told you to practice forgiveness. You have to practice love. Now, when you practice love, stop putting yourself in situations that you know you're going to lose it. Give yourself time to develop. Oh, I got the love of God in me, so I'm going to find the most unlovable person. Now you could win. Or you could just take some time to build. You know, like, if you go to the gym, like, you know, Minister Kurt, you know, trying to get strong like him. You don't want to start out lifting 300 pounds. You're going to hurt yourself. You might not even be able to get it off the rack. Start with just the bar. 
Start with practicing love towards someone who is easy to love. And then you'll develop, and you can handle Thanksgiving drama. Some of you need to stop preparing and practicing your Thanksgiving clapbacks. It's like, I'm ready for auntie this year. I'm ready. No. Practice loving that family member. Not your Thanksgiving clapback. Practice love. Practice forgiveness. So that when you need to do it, it's easy to do it. It's like I was told me in sports growing up. Practice does not make perfect. Perfect practice, perfect practice makes perfect. So practice and perfecting love so that when you need to, perfect love flows out. You have to take time to do it. And while we're on that note, go ahead and stand to your feet as we close so I can actually close. Don't make it hard for people to love you. Don't make it hard for people to love you. Say, I am worthy of love. I am worthy of honor. I'm worthy of reverence. Now that you know that and you've said it, stop making it hard for people to love you. Say, well, they're just gonna have to accept me as I am. Or how about you develop and get better? How about you work on your issue? Not just accept me. No, I'm working on it. So accept me as I work on it, not just, mm hmm, I'm just gonna be who I am. I thought you were supposed to be like Jesus. And if there's something in your life that doesn't look like Jesus, you're supposed to be working on it. So don't make it hard for people to love you. Acknowledge, hey, I'm working on this area. And let them love you through your mess. But don't identify as your mess and hang on to your mess and make it hard for you to receive love. And then come up with things, oh, no one loves me. No, stop. Just stop being difficult. God does not call people to be difficult. That's not what the love of God produces in you. So areas in your life, because, you know, especially with spouses, we looked at it last week, 1 Corinthians 7, seek to be, become agreeable to your spouse or seek to please your spouse. That means you want to work on the areas that annoy your spouse because you annoy your spouse. Yes, you do. Don't look at me like you, you save, filled with the Holy Ghost, the mighty burning fire going to heaven when you die. You annoy your spouse and you annoy your children. And children, you annoy your parents. So in the midst of annoying each other, love each other. You know you got issues. So does your spouse, and so do your children. So do your parents. Love each other through the issues. Love each other through the annoyances. Love, honor, and respect. Or handle each other with care. Thank you.